Hey, it's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, if it's your very first time at Connect, welcome. We are very glad you chose to come and join us. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, like I said, if it's your first time, I hope you'll visit again. I hope you enjoy your morning. If you're watching this on a video because you weren't here this morning or if you're listening to the podcast because you were gone on spring break, um, I just want to let you know that we're having a great time back here. It's actually 85 degrees today. Uh, the sun's shining. We're all in shorts and t-shirts. We've had free ice cream we've been giving out all morning. And we're in a fantastic... None of us at all are jealous that you're in Florida and we're not. So, um, hey, I don't know if you ever do this. Sometimes I'll be uh, just kind of looking through Facebook and uh, just scrolling through, you know, just seeing if there's anything interesting worth looking at. And as I'm kind of flicking through, I'll, I'll suddenly scroll past that. I was like, whoa, 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 I need to go back and, and, and look at that a little bit more closely. Maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a post. Sometimes it's a news article. And, uh, and that exact thing happened to me this week because I was kind of just flicking through, looking for something to do. And uh, I came across this, uh, this post someone had put on there. And it was a news article that said, eight-year-old learns how to drive from YouTube, takes sister to McDonald's. <laughs> I'm like, that needs some closer examination. I want to read that story, and it did not let me down. It was a wonderful story of um, an eight-year-old boy who uh, took his four-year-old sister with him to McDonald's for a cheeseburger. In fact, the news article says this. It says, during the mile-and-a-half-long journey uh, to the fast food restaurant, the boy successfully navigated railroad tracks and multiple intersections. Um... Concerned witnesses called the, p- the police, uh, despite the fact that the young unlicensed driver, I like that they put he's an unlicensed driver, so he's not to be confused with a licensed eight-year-old driver. Um, the young unlicensed driver had remained under the speed limit and obeyed all the traffic laws. On pulling up at the outlet's drive through uh, the boy used cash that he'd taken from his piggy bank to pay for his sister's cheeseburger. Isn't, I know! Fantastic story! So um, I'm thinking about that story, I'm thinking about the people that are reading this news article, I'm thinking, you know, they must be thinking, oh, what a shocking story. What kind of parents are they that their kids do that? Or that boy must be really naughty to, to have done something like that. You know, and all these different people, maybe someone knew the family, you know, and they had some views on it. But I just wonder, I wonder if maybe the dad had a different perspective of the story. I wonder if once dad knew that his son and daughter were okay and that no one had been harmed and everyone was okay, I just have to wonder, because I'm a dad, I just have to wonder if he's heard the news that his eight-year-old son learned how to drive on YouTube and then drove to McDonald's and went, oh, yes, that's my boy. <laughs> if, if he was at baseball games later and the other kids are playing, he's telling the stories like, yeah, learn on YouTube. High five. That's my son. He's awesome. Isn't it funny how when we uh, uh, see someone or see something from a different perspective, we can have a different view of it, can't we? That's the series that we're in right now here at Connect. We're talking about this idea through the eyes. Because what we've discovered is that in life, you know, we can all know different people and there might be someone in our life that two or three different people know and they all have a different view of that person. And that's not right or wrong. That's just because different people have different views of different people. So what we're doing in this series is we're actually looking at Jesus. We're taking the six weeks that are going to lead us all the way up to Easter, and each week we're going to look through the eyes of somebody else at Jesus. Because what I think you're going to discover is wherever you come from this morning, whatever your story is, maybe you grew up going to church, maybe your parents or your grandparents took you to church, 
Maybe you went to church as a kid and you've not been since. Um, Maybe you're brand new. You never went to church. Every one of us has some kind of perception or understanding of who Jesus was and is. Some of us, it's a, it's a somewhat two-dimensional view because we really only have that knowledge of what we've read in stories in the Bible. And some of us, we remember what somebody taught us, maybe in a Sunday school class. But it's my hope that through this series, as we start to look more closely at who Jesus was through the eyes of others, that two-dimensional view will become more three-dimensional. We'll start to see a perspective. We'll start to see a side of Jesus that maybe we'd never seen before. And maybe that'll help us in our understanding of who Jesus is. And my prayer is the role that he can still play in your lives today. So last week, if you weren't here, we looked at a guy by the name of Peter. Peter was one of the disciples, and we got to look at Jesus through the eyes of Peter. Peter was a great guy because we learned last week that when Peter first met Jesus, he just did not even consider himself worthy to be in his presence. He felt like Jesus was amazing and, and he, was, he wasn't. And, and yet still, Jesus chose Peter to be one of his disciples. We learned that it wasn't an easy road for Peter, that he made some mistakes. He, he messed up a little bit along the way. But what we learned last week is that through the eyes of Peter, Jesus saw something that no one else could see. We learned that from Jesus' perspective, oh sorry, from Peter's perspective, Jesus was a man who saw something that no one else could see. And he saw something in Peter that even Peter hadn't seen in himself. And I believe he sees something in you and me that often we don't see in ourselves. And he loves us and he accepts us for who we are. And he has a wonderful plan for all of our lives. So this morning, I want to look at Jesus through the eyes of somebody else. And to kind of set up who it is that we're going to be looking at this morning, whose eyes we will be looking at Jesus through, I want to show you a short video clip. So check this out. Love a little kid who was just determined to slide into the base. He's been waiting so long for that opportunity and just came up short. So, what do all those kids in all those clips have in common? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Even though they didn't appear to be the most coordinated, maybe the most skilled of the sports they were trying, somewhere in the crowd, there was a mum looking on at her future David Beckham, 
Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, whoever it may be. There was a mom who's like, that's my boy. That's my girl. They're going to be awesome one day. Because there's just something, isn't there, about mums, whether you're a mum this morning, whether you've got a mum, and they, they just see the best in you. They're the ones who will be cheering for you. And my kids have played sports growing up, and sometimes they kind of, you can tell, they're like, mum, just come, because she's the one screaming out in the stands as they're playing soccer. Because the truth is, whether you're tumbling or playing high school soccer, there's at least one person in the crowd that thinks you are amazing, and that's your mum. So this morning, I want to take some time to look at Jesus through the eyes of his mum. To look at Jesus through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because man, what must her perspective have been like? I mean, last week we, we talked about Peter, and he met Jesus later on in life, and he got to spend a short amount of time with Jesus, and Jesus transformed his life. But imagine being Mary, the mother of Jesus, seeing Jesus from a baby all the way to a full-grown man. I bet she had a perspective of Jesus. I bet looking through her eyes, we could see something in Jesus this morning that maybe we've never seen ourselves. You see, Jesus was remarkable. And Mary knew this. From the beginning, Mary knew that Jesus was remarkable, that he was going to be remarkable, that he's still remarkable. Before he was even born, we learn in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33, an angel appears to to a pregnant Mary and says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, his kingdom will never end. Before Jesus is even born, Mary is made aware of the fact that Jesus will be remarkable. Then after his birth, Mary is visited by shepherds and wise men, all who tell stories of miraculous ways in which they'd heard about the birth of this baby boy. Again, Mary has more knowledge here of how remarkable Jesus will be. Then, according to their tradition, at eight days old, Jesus was taken to the temple to be presented to God. Parents in that culture, Jewish parents, would would say thank you to God, and especially the firstborn son, and they would go, and it would be a time of worship just to say thank you, God, for providing us with this child. So they took Jesus just as other parents would have taken their kids. And when they got there, they met a devout man by the name of Simeon. He'd been, he'd been at the temple on a regular basis because he believed that one day there would come what was known as a Messiah. It's something that the Jewish people had believed in for thousands of years, that God was going to send someone to rescue them, to set them free, that this Messiah was coming. And they'd been prophesying and talking about this for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Simeon was there at the temple one day and Mary and Joseph show up with, with baby Jesus and he stops them. And in that moment, he is aware of who Jesus is. He says, this is who God promised. This is the one whom we've been waiting for. Imagine what it must have been like in that moment for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke 2 verse 33 says that when this happened, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. 
Every year after Jesus was born, his family would take a trip. In fact, all of the Jewish people in that community would take a trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Every year, all the Jews from all around would come to the temple in Jerusalem, and there they would celebrate the Passover, an event that had happened hundreds of years ago in their history. And they would take their kids, and they would take their family, and on this particular occasion, Jesus was 12 years old. They took, them, they took him with them. And they're on their way home, a big caravan full of people. And uh, as they're traveling, you know, kids are everywhere. They're hanging out with other families. And, and finally, Mary and Joseph kind of look around. And they figure out that Jesus actually isn't with them. And when they start to look around, he's not with anyone. They realize they've lost 12-year-old Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation you've lost a kid. It, I, I, it's just awful, isn't it? I can remember we went to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago once as a family. Emma, my youngest daughter, she was uh, probably about four, five, six, somewhere around that age. And uh, we got down to look at these sharks and we turned around and she was gone. And instantly I panicked and I retraced our steps from where I'd been because this is a big place with a lot of people. And I went back, I had to go up these stairs and, and right there by this big pool of stingrays, there was Emma just stood there crying her eyes out. It was terrible. I grabbed her, I said, it's okay, it's okay, I'm here. I bet it was just one minute, maybe two that we were separated. But in that time, I went through every possible scenario in my head. I mean, it was like terrible. So glad to be reunited. So what happens uh, in the situation here with Jesus? Luke tells us in chapter 1, verse 30. Oh, sorry. Uh, chapter 2, verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him. I mean, they've got my Shed Aquarium story beat completely. Three days! Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the relig religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. His mother stored all these things in her heart. I think what Luke is trying to tell us here is that Mary took everything into consideration. This, this time in the temple, Simeon, the angels, the wise men, the shepherd, everything she stored in her heart and she thought, you know, there is something remarkable about my son. Now, let's be honest, every mum here this morning could probably say there's something remarkable about my child. But Mary had seen all these things, and she stored this, these ideas inside of us, the idea that Jesus was remarkable. Now, here's what's interesting. We don't really hear anything about the life of Jesus for another 20 years. If you read the accounts of the life of Jesus, they can be found in the New Testament. Uh, four authors by the names of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They worked on trying to write up an account of the life of Jesus. And, and they all talked a little bit about his birth. But most of them talk about, or sorry, most of what they talk about is his life uh, when he's older. Around about the age of 30. So I wondered as I was preparing for this message, I wonder what happened in time, between the time of Jesus as a child when Mary discovered how wonderful he was and then Jesus as an adult. Because the truth is, I think as parents, sometimes um, we see our kids differently the way anyone else sees them because we're with them all the time. 
Sometimes it almost um, taints our view of our kids because of how much we see them. We see them with their siblings. We see them in their messy rooms. We see every part of them. My son, Ben, he's my oldest son. He's 18 now. And when he turned 16, um, he got a car. And I said to him, hey, if you're in a car, you need to make car payments and pay for gas and insurance. I think you need to look for a part-time job. And he did. He went out and he got a part-time job. And his very first job was working at the movie theater just down here in Sunnylands. And he loved it. It was a great job. He got to go and see movies. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to work at a movie theater? That was brilliant. But something really interesting happened. He'd been working there a couple of months, two, three months, and I started to bump into people here at Connect and in the community, and they would say, hey, does your son work at the movie theater? I said, yeah, he does. They said, we saw him there. I was like, oh, yeah. They said, yeah, what a great guy he is. We had a great conversation. He's so mature. He was funny. He talked to us. And I'm like, Ben, my son? <laughs> And we were hearing more and more of these people who'd met Ben and they'd interacted with him. Some of his teachers now were telling us stories about him. And, and we were seeing this side of Ben that we hadn't seen ourselves. Because we get to see him all day long, every day. But, but these were people that didn't know him. And, and they were telling us some really nice things about our son. And it was great to see that perspective. Will, my second son, he's now just turned 16, so he's looking for a job right now. I can't wait to hear what people will say when they meet him. So uh, we're going to get to learn about, a little bit more about Will. But I got to wondering if Mary, because she'd raised Jesus, she's now spent time with, with infant Jesus, middle school Jesus, high school Jesus, college age. You know, I wondered if maybe that remarkable child who she, she tucked away those thoughts in her heart when he was 12 years old, I wondered if that would change over time. We're going to learn this morning that it didn't, that she still had this, um, this knowledge of who he was, how special he was, what an amazing man he would be. Because we're going to look at an incident that happened this morning through the eyes of one of the, um, the writers of those four accounts of Jesus' life by the name of John. So John tells this, this fascinating story of a, an interaction that took place between Jesus and the disciples and Mary. And I think many of you may be familiar with this story, but we'll go through it anyway. You can find it in John chapter 2, and it starts out like this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, we don't know much about this particular wedding, but the fact that Mary was not only aware that they'd run out of wine, but was, was panicking, you know, was, was, was thinking, we've got, to sort, we've got to do something about this. Um, we believe that there must have been some connection between Mary and this wedding. That if she wasn't um, related somehow to the people in the wedding, she actually could even have been uh, the mother of someone getting married. This could have been one of Jesus' siblings whose wedding it was. But we know enough to know that Mary had a significant enough role in this wedding that when she found out they'd run out of wine, it was trouble. I mean, you imagine if you were involved in a wedding, you were one of the people organizing the wedding, and and you realized halfway through that they've completely run out of cake and half the guests still haven't got any. Or they've run out of food. Or I guess they've run out of wine. I guess there could still be a problem today at a wedding. So Mary's panicking. She doesn't know what to do. And she comes to Jesus. She goes to the one person there that she knows can do something about it. And she says to Jesus, right there in verse 3, they have no more wine. This wasn't a, you're not going to believe this, they've run out of wine statement. This was a, hey, they've run out of wine, I need you to do something about it statement. 
She's coming to Jesus saying, they've run out of wine. It's as if she's coming to him because no one else knows this, but I know who you are. After years of angels visiting and shepherd stories and an instance at the temple, I know you can help this situation because through my eyes, you are remarkable. So she comes to Jesus for help. Here's his response. He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. One translation actually says this way. He, he turns to Mary and says, woman, that's not my problem. Now, I just want to clarify here what he means by that because there are some husbands already who are like, I, I like that. If that's how Jesus says it, I'm going to try that. Woman, where's my lunch? <laughs> if you're a teenager here this morning, even saying dear woman to your mom, dear woman, will you pack my lunch for school today? <laughs> Jesus was using a term of endearment here. Okay? Instead of calling her mom, dear woman, in the original language, was a, was a form of respect. He was honoring who she was. By saying, dear woman, it was recognizing her role at this wedding, saying, listen, I respect you, and I love you, and I honor you, dear woman, but this is not my time. I can't do anything about this right now. So he's being respectful, but he's trying to explain that it's not his time. And in that moment, I have to wonder if the same thing happens to Jesus as happens to my kids when they interact with their mama. I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes we'll be at home and Casey, my wife, she'll look over and the kids might be kind of like on a laptop or just watching a show or something. She'll say, hey, do you guys have any homework to do? Because I need you to do your homework. Shut that down. It's time to do your homework. And inevitably, one of them will say, well, I, yeah, I do have homework, but it's not due tomorrow. It's not due till Thursday. I've got a study hall tomorrow. I'll just do my homework during study hall. And as they're saying all this to Casey, my wife, and as she's listening, in my head, I'm thinking, this is so pointless. <laughs> you are wasting breath. You are wasting your words. This, this is a futile conversation because I know what's coming. They get done with this whole explanation as to why they don't need to do their homework. And Casey's response is, I don't care. <laughs> Shut that down, do your homework. <laughs> and it's in a kind of tone of like, um, you seem to be misunderstanding. It, it, it appears you've, you've come to believe that this is a democracy that you're a part of. <laughs> no, in this house, it's North Korea, okay? You are doing <laughs> what you're told. <laughs> so I just have to wonder when Jesus, you know, politely and respectfully says to his mom, it's not my time, if maybe just like my kid's mom, she hears what he's saying, and then responds this way, verse 5. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> so instead of saying to Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was your time. You know, she's like, okay, okay, okay. All right. Hey, guys, just do whatever he tells you. Because <laughs> she knows that Jesus is remarkable. She knows that he has the power. He has the ability to do something. She has no idea what. She's, although she knew all these amazing things that happened to him as a child, she has yet to see him do anything miraculous. We know who Jesus is because we, we've heard the stories, we've read the passages in the Bible, so we know what Jesus is capable of doing of. Mary had no idea. She just knew that my boy can fix this because he's remarkable. This was the Jesus that Mary saw. My prayer this morning is that some of you will discover that same Jesus. You'll have that same confidence that you'll have a relationship with a Jesus who you just believe in, you just trust 
that he can be with you through the tough times, he can be with you through the good times, that, that when you face those difficulties in life, that you can turn to him with confidence and say, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know how you're going to fix it, but I've got confidence that you're going to help get us through this. So this is the solution that Jesus came up with. And I will say this, in Mary's defense, she didn't tell Jesus what to do, she just knew that he could do something. So verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Now, I've read this account of what happened that day many times. I think I've even taught on it before. And just this week, something kind of came to light that I'd never seen before that I thought was incredible. You see, each of these four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all talk about the miracles that Jesus did. But whenever John talks about um, the miracles that Jesus performed, he always talks about them as signs or miraculous signs. And the reason he did this is because John wrote the account of Jesus' life many years later. The stories would have been told and they would have remembered certain things about the life of Jesus. And John knew that it was important to write some of this stuff down so the people of his day and, and unbeknownst to John, generations to come, even us today, we can read those same passages that John wrote thousands of years ago. And when he talks about those things, they were more than just miracles, they were signs because John now understood that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And these, these miraculous things he did, they were signs to prove that he was who he said he was. They were signs that were pointing people to God. So up until this point, and we could, we could have a whole history lesson here this morning, but up until this point, the people of Israel, the Jews, they had this, this covenant relationship with God. From the time of Moses, there were commandments involved, there were sacrifices involved, there was all sorts of things they would go through, and, and all of these things were to, to keep this relationship between them and God good. They, they would go to the temple, they would sacrifice animals, and, and all of these were to, to keep this relationship pure between them and God. One of the things they would have to do was, was wash on a regular basis. These, these stone jars contained water for ceremonial washing. So they would have to wash because they, they weren't clean, they weren't pure in front of God. And they would have to do this again and again. It wasn't just like a one and done. I mean, you would wash and then you would wash and, you know, this was an ongoing thing. But they all believed that one day God was going to send this Messiah. And that's who Jesus was. He came as a sacrifice. Up till then, they'd been sacrificing animals, but Jesus came as the final sacrifice once and for all. So that Jews and Gentiles and, and thousands of years later, people in Washington, Illinois, can have a relationship with God. Not because we have to keep washing and sacrificing animals, but because Jesus has paid the price once and for all. We can now have a relationship with God because we're not perfect. God is. So the way to bridge that gap between perfection and imperfection was that Jesus died in our place. That's how remarkable he was. So you're going to find out in a minute that Jesus is going to turn this water into wine. I'm sorry, spoiler alert. I've told you the end of the story before I got there. I'll read it in a second. But it's important you know that because I think that's the miracle we're all familiar with, the idea of Jesus turning the water into the wine. But thousands of years later, we get to look back knowing that John is pointing us to a sign within the sign. 
He didn't just turn any water into wine. He turns the water that was in these old stone jars that represented this old covenant, this old tradition. He made that new. Not only did he turn that water into wine, he took the whole symbolism that that represented and said, I'm going to do something new. I will be who will wash you and cleanse you from now on. This was the sign that John was pointing to. Mary had no idea just how incredible that moment was. So, verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Isn't this amazing? So he's performed this miraculous sign that John's telling us about. John's writing down years later because he remembers it. And Jesus was able to fulfill what he told Mary because no one knew where this wine came from other than Mary and the disciples and the servants. This master of ceremonies just knew that there was more wine, better wine. Jesus was able to to solve the problem, to help his mom, to be remarkable, and yet still knowing that his time had not yet come to, to perform these miracles publicly, do it without any kind of fanfare. But his mom who'd known him since he was born, had known that that baby that sat in the temple at 12 years old, that had these wonderful things said about him by shepherds and wise men and priests, she knew that he was remarkable. And on that day at that wedding, she got to see for the very first time just how remarkable he was, the first of many miracles to come. So in this series, as we look at Jesus, I hope and pray that maybe this morning you get to see a glimpse of Jesus through the eyes of Mary. A mother who, for the mums in the room this morning, already thinks so highly of your kids. Imagine what she must have thought about Jesus because she's not just a mum. She's aware of the fact that this child is special. And now she's just seen just how incredibly special he is, just how remarkable he is. I hope you get to know that Jesus this morning because... That song we sang earlier was such a great song. And there was a line at the end of the song. It said, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You could be fighting a battle right now, and I want you to know that it may feel like you're surrounded by your enemies, but you are surrounded this morning by that same remarkable Jesus who Mary saw as a baby and grow up into a remarkable man. Let's pray. Father, we... Just thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, because you love us so much and you knew that the only way for that relationship to be restored permanently was to do away with the old traditions of sacrifice and ceremonial washing and uh, the commandments and all those kind of things. And you sent your son, Jesus, to be that final sacrifice, to die in our place. Thank you, Lord, that now through a relationship with Jesus, just by asking Jesus to be a part of our lives, we can now have that relationship with you restored. That in and of itself is fantastic, Lord. But the fact that we get to 
have this relationship with Jesus that grows, that we get to see him from different perspectives, that we get to understand more of the three-dimensional idea of who he was as opposed to that two-dimensional words, red letters on the page of our Bible. As we look at him through the eyes of Peter and now Mary, help us to, uh, help it to add to who we see Jesus as in our lives and help him to take on more reality and more meaning in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.